Wilson still tries it. And in she goes. The crowd is really being treated to some thrilling shots again tonight. This is the Sixers History Podcast. Out to Dr. He's got a crack at it. Three-pointer. He got it. Hosted by Pro Hoops History's Curtis Harris. Now, slide back into time, Sixers style, with today's episode. Welcome back to another edition of the Sixers History Podcast. On today's episode, we'll be speaking about the life and careers of Zachary Clayton, a Philadelphian who was recently inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, he passed away in 1997 at the age of 84. So obviously, instead of speaking with Zach, we'll be talking with his great niece, Lauren Myers, who brings an interesting perspective uh, on this. It was a really great conversation, I think, Uh, because she speaks about, you know, knowing him as just Uncle Zach, but uh, gradually realizing that, uh, you know, he was obviously a great basketball player, uh, most notably with the New York Rams, the Harlem Globetrotters, and the Washington Bears, uh, but also how he had, a, you know, as I said, multiple careers. So he also played in, ne- in the Negro Baseball Leagues, uh, was also a firefighter with the Philadelphia Fire Department, and also became a very famous uh, boxing referee. Most notably, uh, he was the referee for the Ali Foreman fight, uh, the famous Rumble in the Jungle in Zaire back in the mid-1970s. So all that and more awaits in this great episode. Uh, Really some fun tangents, but all tangents related to Zach. Uh, The man led a very interesting life, had a great career in multiple sports, uh, multiple avenues of life. Uh, So I hope you enjoyed this conversation uh, between myself and Lauren Myers, the great niece of Zachary Clayton, basketball Hall of Famer, boxing referee, Philadelphia firefighter. All right, uh, Lauren, so... um can you explain to me and uh, the listeners just uh, what your relationship was like with your uncle uh, growing up as a kid? So uh, Uncle Zach was my great uncle. His wife, my great aunt, was my grandmother's sister. So because of the closeness and relationship that my mother and my grandmother had, clearly mother and daughter, um, and the closeness that my grandmother had with her sister, Naturally, we were close to Uncle Zach as well. Um, We also lived very close to each other. So he was, I just always remember Uncle Zach being very tall because we were little. And in hindsight, as you grow and you realize now at five, seven and a half, five, eight, whatever my height is, um, that Uncle Zach was only really about six feet tall. So he wasn't that tall in comparison to what basketball players typically are now. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a kid, he was, he was huge. Um, I always remember uncle Zach, they had, um, they had dogs and I always remember him walking a dog. And I always have, I have this memory of it being a German shepherd, but I think they also have boxers. Um, But he was this gentle and just quiet personality I, I remember him always giving us bills for to get ice cream and feeling that we were rich because as little kids, <laughs> an ice cream was like 35 cents at the, the drugstore around the corner. Yeah. Um, I just felt like, oh, he's giving us lots of money, you know, as my kids say now. So that's um, that's those are the sorts of things that I remember about him as a kid always visiting 
um, when I would come back from Cornell, he, I would visit him. I would visit my aunt. Um, and when he fell ill, she would take, she was taking care of him. But, um, I'd always, he, they'd leave something under the mat for us. Um, and so that was our, you know, our little treat. Um, he was him and, and my, my aunt, um, his widow, just very kind, giving, loving people um, and humble. We, outside of um, going into their basement and passing a big picture, that life-size that he had of him in the ring, we knew about boxing. Mm -hmm. um, we knew about him with the Globetrotters because the Globetrotters were still around. So that was something that he could really um, help us visualize. But outside of that, he really didn't talk about the accolades and the accomplishments that he had um, without someone asking or mentioning things about him. All right. Yeah. So, uh, how did you become to? Uh, how did you come to realize? Like, yeah, she was. You know, obviously, it was still an accomplishment. Like, you were a boxing referee. You played the Globetrotters. But right. how did you become to realize? Uh, you know that he was more than that. That there was more to it. Uh, that he had this like a really successful career in basketball uh, that he wasn't really talking about. It seems like. Well, my first true memory of that was knowing when. So he went into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame in 1989. I was in eighth grade, so I just remember there was fanfare and it was he was going into the Hall of Fame. And as a kid, you're thinking, oh, it's a Hall of Fame. You don't necessarily know the distinctions of the Philadelphia Hall of Fame, the basketball, football, etc. You know, I was, what, 13, 12, 13? It's the Hall of Fame, so he's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um, but then also we used to watch uh, his matches on TV with my grandmother. So we would see him on TV, which we thought was pretty cool. And then we just, I mean, I think just through the oral tradition that culturally we have, we would just hear little stories and Uncle Zach did this and Uncle Zach did that. And you, you take it as a grain of salt. Um, but when you reflect on it, you're like, oh, wait, if he were still here, I want to know about, you know, what was it like to be in a ring? What was it like when you were playing basketball um, way back when, in essence. Um, what was that competition like? What was the discrimination like? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, those sorts of things. What was it like to be a firefighter? Because, I mean, who doesn't play in the Negro Leagues and then play basketball and then be a boxing referee? And, oh, yeah, I was a lieutenant in the fire department as a gangs are also i mean that just that seems so normal right i mean yeah everybody does it yeah. i know i feel i feel so inadequate with what i'm trying to do now i feel like i i need to add some more careers and lives well um i definitely think one thing we can add is you know more context is you, you mentioned like that's a lot of you know stuff like firefighter basketball player baseball player boxing referee um, so I, I'll say, I guess we'll start with basketball, you know, since, uh, this is a Sixer history podcast, but, uh, he's such an important, uh, Philadelphia figure, uh, right. in, in so many ways. Uh, but let's start with basketball. Um, uh, what were some of his accomplishments? And, uh, we are already mentioned the Globetrotters, but what were some of his accomplishments and, uh, teams he played for? So he played for the, uh, 
the Wrens, um, the, the Renaissance. He played for the Harlem Globetrotters and he played for the Washington Bears. Um, and the, the accomplishments were, I mean, there were so many. And, and looking at the time that he was playing and able to continuously play and be successful, um, sleeping in cars many times because they, uh, they being him and his teammates were not welcome um, or allowed in essence in some of the hotels, yeah. um, even in cold weather, you know, they were in cars sleeping and it was the commitment that he was showing not only to the passion that he had in a sport that he loved, which was basketball, but it was the commitment to those other players that, that were on his team. Um, I know he was what we did loan to the hall of fame, uh, the Naismith hall of fame was his uh, co MVP trophy from, I believe it was 39 or 43 with the bears. And it was mm -hmm. one of their undefeated uh, seasons which is a huge feat. Yep. Um, so, but he going through the process of him being enshrined in the hall of fame was a trip down memory lane also, because it allowed myself and my mom, especially going through paperwork um, and memorabilia that he had. That was, I will say there were many moments where it was looking up and saying, Thanks, Uncle Zach, because he and Aunt Lunette definitely had things very organized, um, very specific for the sport, the clippings that he had. Um, and so when we would find something that we weren't quite sure about, it would give you cause to pause where it was, okay, now I need to read this article because it's clearly here for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, so I learned so much more about him going through the process of his enshrinement, which was was a really cool experience. And I also involved my kids in it where my son, my oldest son, I had him doing research so that we could confirm certain things and yep. certain memorabilia. So um, he was doing some research and he subsequently did a great project and presentation for his class last year too. So yeah, it was, Uncle Zach did a lot. And I'm sure if he were here, we would still be uncovering stories and accomplishments that we don't even know about. You know, right. I'm sure he knew his stats of how many passes, how many, or excuse me, how many assists, you know, how many shots here, this, that, and the other. Um, I know that he could shoot both with his left and his right. Um, which is is unique. Um, yeah, be ambidextrous. Exactly. Uh, court, you yes. know, and my son can, he is left-handed, but does things with left and right. And so that was something that he pointed out as well. Um, so that that alone was, um, was a, a very interesting fact yeah. that we found out. Yeah, and, uh, you know, for listeners, uh, it's important uh, to realize that, you know, these teams that your uncle was playing for, uh, you know, this is prior to the NBA. Um, uh, there are a lot of barnstorming teams. So the, the Bears, the Wrens, the Globetrotters, these teams weren't in the league necessarily, but they were playing around the country. Um, 
in an era of segregation, so you mentioned earlier, uh, had the teams weren't welcome. It's because of segregation, these all-black teams. Right. It was under the specter of, of segregation and racism. And some of the letters that uh, correspondence that we found were really touching. And it said it spoke to the work ethic Uncle Zach had. It spoke to his character where there were other team owners that were reaching out to him and addressing him as Mr. Clayton. Can you get some, some Negro players together for a game? And it was that back and forth correspondence. But the fact that the times, I mean, we're talking about the thirties and the forties here and people and how they're addressing him. It, um, it was a very respectful tone, and, and it said, again, a lot about his character and knowing that they, uh, these other owners could come to him and he could get players together. He could assemble a team, um, and they were traveling uh, all over. I know there were pictures we saw of him when he was with the Globetrotters in Hawaii, um, the different world championships and where those games were. Um, it was... It, it says a lot in regards to how he was able to overcome so much at a time where there was so much adversity and not be bitter, you know, at least based on, you know, what I know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so it, it, it says a lot about him. And I, I know in conversations that I've had with my family and just as we are always trying to grow and be better people, it is looking back at our ancestors, which he is one of them, and saying, I would like my behavior and my disposition to reflect someone like his. Um, there's still adversity today in everything that we do, but I would say in the 30s and 40s and trying to assemble basketball teams pre-NBA yep. um, with black players mm-hmm. was was definitely a, a huge hurdle that he would overcome. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Like it's the the racial component. Obviously, that's the biggest factor. But, uh, you know, this is not just pre-NBA and also during segregation. But this is also uh, pre uh, really airplane travel. So right. these, these guys are driving cars or riding trains or buses to everywhere they're going. So yeah, it's a totally different environment in terms of even to travel uh, exactly. than it is nowadays. Exactly. Um, but uh, obviously, basketball is like the you know, the forefront, I guess, is Zach's uh, fame here because he is in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yes. Uh, but also he was involved in other sports, as you were mentioning. Uh, so I guess we'll move uh, to baseball because uh, he, you know, played with, you know, black basketball teams, but also played in, you know, the black baseball leagues back then. Yes. So he, you're testing all of my knowledge. Oh. Um, he played for a team in Atlantic City. He played uh, with the, uh, I believe it was the Black Yankees. Um, he he played for a few other teams, mm-hmm. um, but he, it, it seems that he was in a position where he literally would go from one sport to another sport based on the season and the timing. Mm-hmm. So he was continuously active. Um, he was a first baseman um, and a, a great hitter from from articles and things that, that I've read that, thanks to him, he saved. <laughs> uh, but he also, same thing with, with baseball, was a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, 
was a leader in just working with other players and always reminding people to to do your best and to make sure that you practice. And without that practice, you can't improve on whatever it is that you're doing um, as it relates to being smart uh, with with whatever sport that you're playing, but also in life. Um, so, yeah, the baseball, knowing that he played baseball, I think was something that we found out even Later, later. So after the first hall, and thing, so right, you're like, oh, wait a second. So you played baseball too, and so much of it happens, unfortunately, when people are gone, mm-hmm. where you start to see, oh, why are there these baseball bats and these gloves and these baseballs and oh, they're clippings that are talking about his baseball career. Um, so that, that is, is something, um, something that was nice to know. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just an added bonus as well. I think that it was very similar to, you could say with, with baseball as in basketball, where this is at a time where blacks were not playing with white players. Um, and it wasn't, a Negro league. It was various leagues of black players throughout the country um, that would meet up and that would be playing. Yeah. Yeah. And that should be emphasized. It was plural. Like it was was Negro leagues. Leagues. It wasn't one. It was There were multiple ones. Uh, Exactly. And, uh, and, and, Zach is Zach Clayton's not the only one uh, who, no, basically multi-sport. Right. So some uh, listeners who are familiar with uh, basketball history might know that uh, Bill Charman, uh, Gene Conley, these are the guys that played in the NBA, mm-hmm. uh, but also played in the Major League Baseball League. So when the NBA season would finish, they would get into Major League Baseball. Exactly. Then when that winds down, they get into the NBA again. Uh, so Zach wasn't alone on that front. Uh, many players did it back then, but he was one of the, the higher level of guys who excelled in both sports. Right, uh, right. And he played a little bit of football, too. We found out just through, through again, the process of um, – of going through his enshrine uh, of his enshrinement, um, Claude Johnson um, of mm-hmm. the Black Five yeah, is very instrumental and helpful. And he's a great um, historian, right? Yeah. Right, and and even my conversations with with Mr. Donald Hunt, um, it was very um, it was very informative. And Claude had pointed out, I found this information, and it says that he played football too at Gratz. <laughs> And I just remember the night that Claude told me that I thought, okay, Claude, I trust your judgment because you. you're the historian. You're gonna find out he played hockey by the end of all this. I <laughs> know. <laughs> I'm like... um, but there's still one more sport to get to, not hockey. Uh, but uh, you know, after uh, Zach gets done with basketball, baseball, uh, you know, retired from playing, I guess you can say, still isn't done with sports just yet. Uh, becomes a, a boxing referee. So, uh, and obviously most famously refereed the uh, George Foreman, Ali fight and uh, right. Zaire, the rumble in the jungle. So, uh, yeah, just, I guess, take us down that avenue, that last little story of his athletic uh, greatness being a boxing referee. Right. So I, um, I know Uncle Zach. When I think of my uncle, mm-hmm. I think of the, bo- the boxing referee. I think that he, I think of the first heavyweight Black heavyweight boxing referee, uh, mainly because he will he was still doing that when we were younger, and so we knew and could actually see him him doing that. I know with with 
basketball, definitely it was a nice treat at the Hall of Fame to see that there was some footage of him playing basketball because that's not something that I would ever really be able to readily have access to or find. Mm -hmm. Um, Baseball, who knows if there's any footage. Um, But for boxing, I can go out and Google and I can YouTube and I can see my uncle and hear him, which is really nice. And so, but, but the, the refereeing is what, um, is what I knew him for first and foremost. My, my father was a humongous fan of boxing. I remember, um, Friday or Saturday nights, um, you know, hit my parents being in their room and hearing my dad make these, these sounds of excitement because he was watching boxing. Um, And I don't know, you know, my father's deceased now, but I don't know. I'm sure that he had a relationship with, with uncle Zach and I'm sure that they probably talked about boxing and, and the history of boxing and um, just things that were going on. Um, But yeah, just the, the, knowing that he had this command in the ring um, because he had these long arms that served him well and basketball for sure. Probably baseball too. And (laughs) baseball as, you know, that first baseman. But really also when um, I I had a very good conversation with with Mr. Sonny Hill and with Mr. Earl Monroe, we were talking and they were saying the same thing of Uncle Zach and being able to command that ring and own that ring and making sure that those boxers knew the rules, knew what was going on, and you weren't going to mess with him. And and mm-hmm. I just and that is something that I I very vividly remember sitting on the floor with my grandmother and watching. It was Uncle Zach's going to be on TV and we would watch him in the ring. Um and and it it's um, and that was before boxing was the way that it is now. As as I don't want to say as big, but it was different mm-hmm. um, in my opinion. Just because I was learning about boxing, um, none of the current boxing versus MMA, etc. Yeah. But um, yeah, he and we knew there was a picture, a bird's eye view of him in the ring. Um, from the the fight uh, with Ali and Foreman that just always, I just think it's such a powerful picture. And I look at that um, because it clearly has staying power, but um, it, it shows, it's a testimony to just the sport of boxing. Um, and the fact that someone who was a basketball player, was a baseball player, supposedly a football player, (laughs) Um, you know, in the ring with these two boxing giants. And he made sure that that fight was handled and taken care of, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the right way. Clearly before my time. I think that it was 74. So, yes. Yes. So before my time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess getting to the last... uh... I guess portion here I want to make sure we get to is uh, actually kind of it's a nice kind of dovetail off what you were talking about uh, the command that he had in the boxing ring. Um, talk about him as you know as a citizen of Philadelphia because he was a member of the fire department. 
Um, so yeah, talk about his leadership uh, in the community as a firefighter in Philadelphia. Right. And, uh, how that's you know that's really an extension of how he behaved uh, in basketball and in boxing. Yeah. So Uncle Zach was Rizzo. Uh, Mayor Rizzo had appointed him as a gang czar, um, and there were there were all sorts of issues and challenges that were going on in the city, and the fact that. Mayor Rizzo appointed Uncle Zach um, into that role, said a lot about how Uncle Zach, although he may not know anything about gangs, could navigate through a city. He had a reach to different communities and different areas because this is someone who lived in the Mount Airy Avenue but grew up, um, I believe it was, around Wissahickon. he was someone who was going down to the Christian Street Y, um, where he would continue to return after um, after everything that he was doing. He was playing basketball in the old timer leagues, as it and that's what they call it. Um, but <laughs> he would he, right, <laughs> but he would he would go back and he would work with the kids at the Christian Street Y because he always knew that he was and enjoyed giving back to the community. Um, he, so him being appointed to that role was an opportunity for him to have a, a reach and influence and other, and all sorts of areas within the city. Um, he was also, he was a Lieutenant in, in the fire department, which I remember only really finding that out because there were fire boots and a fire jacket. And it's like, well, why, why is this here? And it's, oh, yeah. Oh, and the fire hat. You're like, okay, so what What life hasn't this man had over all these years? Um, but I think it, it, it really touched me um, when I was finding out all of these things. And, you know, circling back to him being enshrined with the Hall of Fame, that was the many lives that he had and this, this, great man that was very humble and very quiet in essence, a man of a few words. When we as a family were looking at who would escort me uh, for the enshrinement on stage, Earl Monroe was the perfect person because there was the Philly connection of Earl Monroe being from Philly, playing in Philly. Um, you know, high school ball in Philly. Uh, I believe it was at Bartram. Um, it was knowing that he also ties to the Christian Street Y, um, that Mecca, you know, you could say. Uh, but additionally, the things that um, Earl Monroe did professionally and the NBA, but within the community in Harlem, which it was like, this is such... I felt that when I was learning more about Earl Monroe, the man, mm-hmm. in addition to the player, it, I felt that at times I could replace my put my uncle's name there, um, and that was that. That's the kind of community person. Um, that spirit, that positive spirit, was something that throughout this process and meeting people that knew him. Um, it, Mr. Sonny, between 
Sunny Hill and Donald Hunt and the things that they really were saying about my uncle, it was it was so nice because you could feel the smile mm -hmm. when they talk about him. Um, I had a conversation also with Mayor Kenny uh, because his father and my uncle worked together in the firehouse. All kinds of connections. I know, all kinds <laughs> of connections. Um, and, you know, Mayor Kenny smiled and, you know, loved telling the story about, about that relationship. Um, that's the kind of, of legacy that I'm sure Uncle Zach wasn't necessarily trying to make sure he had, but it just naturally was happening because of the things that he was doing the kind of person that he was, um, his spirit, um, just a, a, an overall good man. All right. Well, I, th I think that's a pretty good <laughs> summation of, uh, of Zach Clayton. Uh, I mean, as we've been talking about, of, I mean, God, careers upon careers, like yeah. not just a great career, but great careers uh, from the man, boxing, basketball, baseball, his even, sense even football. Of, his sense of style his with style. his... <laughs> Furs and sunglasses and bow ties. Well, we mean. need to get some photos of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Lauren, it's been great to hear you talk about your uncle uh, and the great things he did uh, in the professional sports world, but also in just for the city of Philadelphia. Uh, and we really appreciate having you on the Sixers History Podcast. Even though Zach was not a Sixer, integral to the history of Philadelphia, so we're happy to have you on to talk about him. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's nice to get more of his story out there as well because there are many stories like this that we we need to get out there so that people know and have the history. You don't you can't better where you're trying to go if you don't know where you came from and why all these things are already in place because there were people that came before them um, and before us. So thank you for allowing us to share this. You've been listening to the Sixers History Podcast with Pro Hoops History's Curtis Harris. Be sure to follow Curtis's Sixers History accounts on Instagram and Twitter at, at Sixers History and stay tuned for future episodes.